Welcome to another episode of the Pete Potential Success Show. My name is Fong Chua. I'm an entrepreneur, business strategist, real estate investor, speaker, also best-selling author, and every single day I help others unlock potentials and guide them to succeed. Today on the show, we have another fascinating guest on the show. We interview celebrities, entrepreneurs, business CEOs, athletes, artists to find out their path to success, how they're able to overcome challenges and adversity, and of course, their keys to success. And today's guest is definitely somebody who could shine some light into that because she is very, very good at what she does. Um, in this day and age, Lots of people are very stressed out. Mental uh, health is very, very important. And with the business of entrepreneurship, running businesses, investments, and all that kind of stuff, AI, stuff going all over uh, around us, that gives us a lot of stress, lots of pressure. And uh, our guest today is able to help us kind of hone in that peacefulness, get us to relax, find out how we can balance out that mindset so we are able to uh, reach more success, uh, be able to communicate with more confidence, uh, being able to go do away with the negativities and uh, to be not so, uh, what do you call it, focused on being perfect, but being able to express ourselves through art and creativity uh, because she's an award-winning uh, author and artist and she's able to help lots of people overcome so many different things when it comes to mindset through art. That's absolutely incredible. So please welcome artist, award-winning, uh, art mentor, creativity specialist, speaker, author, Karen Deloach. Hi, thank you. What a great <laughs> intro. That was beautiful. Thank you. I, 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 that makes me feel really confident. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. Thank you very much for being here. Uh, it's not every day I get to speak with artists and people who are very, very good at what they do when it comes to artists, uh, art and creativity. Uh, lots of my, uh, my guests are our, our speakers, our real estate investors, our entrepreneurs who are very focused in business and very focused in helping people uh, achieve uh, that that uh, success in wealth and all that kind of stuff. But you help people with regards to their mindsets. Now, before we get to uh, those questions, I would like to ask, how did you become the artist you are today? Because when you were born, was that the <laughs> yeah, first part about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and do art for the rest of my life kind of thing. It's like, what was your path? <laughs> Yeah, I, I had I had a struggle actually trying to figure out which way because I love theater and, and acting. Matter of fact, I went back to school in my 50s to go to film school. Um, I teach film school to Ugandan youth that I got to work with last year. And anyway, that's that's a side note. But I went to school for art and and uh, theater as my minor. And I was very drawn to art from a young age. I love to look at art. I love to study art. It is still a surprise that I wrote an art history and appreciation textbook because I teach in college. And I'm as an artist, I always felt like art history books were more geared towards the intellectual side of the arts, more left brain, if you would. And as an artist and trying to help people appreciate, I think that's so more right brain. And at that time, I didn't understand so much about left brain, right brain. I have studied to learn the science behind what I do. But when I was a young person, I just knew I was drawn to all things creative. And and I was confusing. You know, when you're young, you want to be be a master of something, but I just had so many interests and I was even a college level athlete and, and played, did sports. And so there were so many things I wanted to do. So, you know, one of those jack of all trades, master of none thing, but they were always in that right brain creative realm. I'm still part of a, of a, of an acting troupe here in the low country of South Carolina. So I keep, keep myself um, very involved in the arts. And since I married musicians, all of our children are all in the creative arts. <laughs> one form or another, usually multiple. So it's really 
part of who we are. What I've come to later in life is how to master marketing and sales and business. So, you know, I was a homeschooler for 30 years teaching families, all ages, art and uh, theater and, and um, filmmaking. And so I didn't have to market. I didn't have to sell. We did co-ops. We, we had our own newsletters. And this has been a challenge ever since COVID coming online and figuring out, okay, how do we reach more people? We're all going online now. How do I teach visual arts online? And that has been my study these last three years and understanding how the arts benefit everybody. Because you hear people all the time say, I can't draw a straight line. You know, well, hello, if I need to draw a straight line, I use a ruler like normal people. But <laughs> I understand how our right brain can get squashed. And if you don't mind me just sharing just a little bit more about this, in our culture in the West, we really teach left brain skills and develop. And that's what we test. That's what we score on. That's how we get to college, get good grades, get a good job. And those are all left brain memorization, uh, critical thinking, uh, organization, and which are all really, really good things, of course. But as you mentioned before about life balance, we have a half of our brain that is wired and geared towards the creative. And unless you nurture and keep it growing, you're going to be really out of balance. All of us, whether you want to be an artist, a singer, a dancer, a, a musician, there's so many ways to be creative or a writer like you have. Podcasting itself is a creative activity, what you're doing. And as, a, as an author, that's a creative, that's a nice creative balance that you've got going in your life. So I ask that, you know, I just think about this. You ask a room of five-year-olds. Do you like to color, dance, draw, um, sing, bang on the drums, act? You almost have 100% saying yes. But you ask a room of 15-year-olds that same question, maybe 10% say yes. So what happens in those 10 years? They don't lose their capacity for creativity. What they lose is the development of that right brain creativity. And it's a sensitive, intuitive, imaginative, very gentle part of us. And consequently, it's sensitive to criticism and judgment. And most of us, especially as adults, we have that left brain bully. You can't draw with a dingling or you can't sing. You can't dance. You just stick with what you know, you know, and and it constantly berates and puts down that right brain. And so that's why I call myself a creativity specialist, because my goal is to create a safe space for people to develop their own creative venture, whatever way it takes. Wow. Um, you, you said a lot of great things during that first <laughs> there, and I have so many questions that came out of that. Uh, my first question with regards to what you just talked about is you, you talked about how the in, in this world, they take art and they break it down into very left-minded ways of studying it. Uh, give us an example. Like, let's say if we were to take, uh, the only thing I, that comes to mind right now is the Mona Lisa. If you were to break <laughs> that down from a left-minded analysis, compare that to a right-minded analysis, what would it be the difference? 
Okay, they would talk about technical things like, you know, Leonardo da Vinci, when he did this painting, um, the model, he he was using the new medium of oil paint. He was using glazing to, to um, imitate the layers of skin um, on her beautiful complexion, this, this enigmatic smile that she has, or they'll talk about um, maybe um, just in this picture behind me, the, the atmospheric perspective that is there with a kind of blue-green background and the river going back behind it. So they may talk about a couple of visual aspects, but it's always from an analytical point of view instead of telling the story behind it. Do you know that when he died, even though she's a young woman, he did this painting when he was young, when he died in France, 40 years later, he had that painting on his possession. Do you know that he obviously had some kind of relationship with this young woman, that she meant something to him, that he had this painting with him? That's why it's in the Louvre in Paris and not in Italy or, or Florence, where he grew up and where he where he did a lot of his art. So, you know, a, a, a right brain is looking at it from the humanity of it, the the beauty of her smile. You can talk about what is she thinking? Thinking. There's so much humanity in her expression. There's there's depth to her expression. It's a very small painting. People sometimes see look go and spend an hour in line at the Louvre and go, well, that's all it is. You know, they don't really understand what they're looking at. Or I'm one of those people. Gonna <laughs> <laughs> look at it left brain, not not from enjoying the story. But don't doesn't it make a difference when you just hear that little bit of a story? That wow, that's intriguing. What is there more to say about this? So. <laughs> and it's a story that gives it meaning, that gives it more, uh, that more impact for people to go, wow, this is amazing, because they know the story behind it. Yeah, I was just going to say, like, uh, when I walked into that room, I saw the Mona Lisa with this long line. And I'm like, oh, look at that. It's just like that. And I turned around, <laughs> there's this huge painting on the other side, and there's nobody there. So I'm like, huh. <laughs> um, when, when it comes to to art, uh, you, all, you talked about whether you're an artist, you're not an artist. Is everybody an artist? I mean, can everybody draw? Can you? Because you're you're a person who can pull that artistic ability out of people, help them Absolutely. with creativity. So, if people say they're not, it's more like they just don't want to try. Yes and no, because I don't think. I mean, I yes, you're right. Everybody has the capacity to draw. If you can throw and catch a ball. You have eye-hand coordination and you can learn to draw what you see. I could teach you. I could teach you right now. I could give you some exercises to practice until you were really, really good. And they are guaranteed to work because I've seen it for 40 years work on everybody, no matter where they start, no matter where they can learn to draw. So yes, everybody can learn to draw. It is an absolute truism. And, and you know, the difference is, do I want to? Do I want to learn to draw? And not everybody says yes to that. But I believe that everybody has ways to be creative. Uh -huh. And that's how we balance that left brain, right brain. The, the, the left brain was really created to serve the right brain because it's the, the you know, I believe we're spirit beings and that that is our connection to, to the spiritual world is that sensitive, right, intuitive part of us. When people say, I got it from my gut, you know, they point to their belly, their gut, but how does that gut communicate to you? It communicates as you get sensitive to listening to your right brain, listening to that still small voice, if you would, that is guiding or giving you insight that you couldn't have, you couldn't read it in a book, or you couldn't get it on in that moment, you know, that you can get. And so as you develop and allow that right brain to breathe and to grow and to be healed and be, be developed, you're going to find more of that happens for you. 
more solutions that aren't just left brain accessed. And of course, when you draw, you're actually using your left brain through the act of drawing. So it's a good way to build those neural connections between left brain and right brain. And I have a great story about that. Um, I had a young man who <clears throat> took art from me for years. He, he had learning disabilities. He had AD, ADHD. He also had dyslexia. So academics were very hard for him. His mother was homeschooling him and brought him to my studio. And <clears throat> he developed great drawing and painting and sculpting skills. I also teach ceramics. He did great job. And it gave him, you know, just a little more confidence in his adolescent and teen years to to try and get through his academic stuff because he did graduate. But when he was just before graduation, he entered the I, I entered his work in the largest youth art competition in the low country. And he not he won not only his age group, but he won best in show for this incredible batik he did in my studio. Three months later, he had a traumatic brain injury from a, a brain infection that caused him to have a stroke and paralyze him on the right side. He's almost 18 years old. Now he's paralyzed. And they didn't expect him to live, but he did. He couldn't talk, couldn't communicate. You used communication when you were introducing me. And this is a really big deal because we are humans and we need ways to communicate how we feel or what we think to each other. And there was David stuck inside of his head and he couldn't talk. He, he couldn't, couldn't use his right hand. It was trying to curl up. They've been, they've worked really hard to get it. So it wouldn't curl up, couldn't walk yet. So four months of rehab, they finally released him from the hospital. His mama brought him right to my studio and I endeavored to teach him to draw left-handed. And it was a surprise to all of us when he very quickly was drawing as good left-handed as he could right-handed. He also then could write. Now he could write. Well, it wasn't long after that, I got a call from his neurosurgeon. He said, what are you doing with this young man? He said, I've never called anybody's art teacher before, but he is better with his weekend than I am. And I'm a surgeon. Not only that, he is developing his speech, his right hand and use of his right side. So what is going, just keep doing what you're doing because I couldn't explain the science of it. I'm not a neurosurgeon, obviously, but the neural pathways he had already been developing, left brain, right brain connection were still there. His prefrontal cortex was damaged. He still struggles a little bit with his speech, but he can talk now great. He walks. You can hardly see any limp whatsoever, but he's still writing and drawing with his left hand because he can do it as good. And this is not somebody that was left-handed. Okay. He was somebody totally right-handed. So I saw the ability of art to heal mm -hmm. and it just got me very, very excited. Um, another example is um, in um, Walter Reed Hospital um, in the last few years, bringing soldiers back with, you know, traumatic brain injuries and PTSD. They put them through some therapeutic um, exercises to help them mentally and emotionally. And they, when they all left, they said their very favorite thing to do was the art. Now these are soldiers, so they're not used to being artists, right? But they all loved what they were doing and it brought peace. And it, you were talking about the stress of life as business people, um, that cortisone gets released when we do something that makes us happy. And just the act of looking at art releases serotonin, which is the happiness chemical. 
So there is a connection in the brain when you do something that brings beauty. We're the only created beings that that appreciate beauty. And so, you know, just appreciating your beautiful bridge, you know, that they just built in your town or the beautiful uh, skies or trees, um, uh, water. You know, I live near the beach. So it, it's it's just it releases something in your soul that reduces the, that core, that cortisol that, that is stress and brings you peace. That's why people do a lot of breathing, you know, deep breathing, but I'd rather look at beauty and, and get my um, joy that way. So it has been a great adventure seeing how doing art can bring healing to people. Now, like there's a lot of great benefits when it comes to art and you, you've showed uh, a few cases where it's done amazing things, but there's still lots of people who are hesitant of going, what you want me to do this? Like for instance, there's those coloring books that's that, that has so many different spaces that you can color in and very, very complex. And it's supposed to make you relax and feel good and get, get <laughs> peace and all that kind of stuff. Sometimes when I look at a man, that's a lot of work. There's a lot of spaces that, that's more stressed on me that I have to color everything. So when it comes to, to telling people, hey, you need to sit down and draw or hey, you need to sit down and be creative. What are some of the most common uh like common things that people say to you that prevents them from doing it. Oh yeah. It, it's totally that left brain bully. I can't draw. I can't paint. I can't do sculpting. You know, I, I mean, obviously the visual arts are my area of expertise, but I've, I've been studying lots of ways to get that same creative boost and journaling. Writing is one of them. Um, taking walks, and in not just I'm counting my steps here, you know, that's a left brain way to take a, <laughs> a walk. Um, I've got, you know, one more thousand you know, steps to take today to make my quota. I mean, that is the opposite of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking a stroll or even just even if you're walking fast or taking your dog out, notice the sky, notice the trees, notice the people, notice the buildings, whatever is interesting to you. I have some some people, they love fashion. So they're going to look at everybody's coats or jackets or sweaters or scarves. You know, they're going to notice the colors or somebody who's like loves dogs. So they're going to notice everybody's dog when they're taking a walk or, you know, or all of the above, whatever. And it, it just helps us in our humanity, relax, get that stress down. So it's not only drawing and painting and sculpting that work. You know, being creative comes in so many forms. Maybe it's singing in the shower. Do you know that they say that that does just set people's left brain, right brain working together before they go to work, just singing in the shower? I mean, it sounds crazy, but it works. It actually does make those connections. Throwing and catching a ball. That's why I said if they can throw and catch a ball, there's in the act of throwing and catching where you're observing where that ball's going. You're observing where, you know, that person's standing, where you're going to throw the ball so they can catch it. Uh, those are all really good left brain, right brain connectors. <laughs> so what, like, what do you recommend people do on a consistent daily basis? Like, I, I like how you mentioned that when you open yourself to art, looking at a piece of art or listening to music or doing certain things will allow you to tune into a certain frequency that opens up different pathways, different options, different opportunities that you may or may not have seen before. So for example, I might be hosting an event and I could be very left-brained as to how I could organize that event, right? Schedules, times, and all that kind of stuff. But then all of a sudden I go, oh, wait, if I started with this bang or this big uh, artist coming in or this big, uh, uh, what do you call it, explosion or something, 
that's the artistic side of it that makes it more interesting for people to grasp. So for someone like yourself, who's working with people, developing that right brain, developing that creativity frequency in their minds, what do people usually should do? What should people do on a daily basis from a creative standpoint? Well, that, that's a really good question because, you know, as I'm reading these, there's a, a whole area of, of neuroscience called neuro arts. And they said just uh, between 15 and 20 minutes a day being creative is enough to, to awaken and ignite and get your right brain operating and functioning best for you. And, you know, you know, I mentioned taking a walk and noticing the, the environment, noticing, noticing those that are around you, not being only in your head, right? Um, planning an event, obviously, when you're doing that and you're doing all these left brain activities, you know, then thinking about the stories. And, and as an author, did you include stories in your book? Even if you're talking about business and you're talking about, you know, financial success and wealth building, are there still stories that you tell? It's like we're human. We want to hear people's stories. We want to we want to connect on more than left brain ways. And so maybe when you're organized, you're thinking not I can do, you know, Sally, Joe, Jim and John. But wow, what stories do they are they going to how are they going to ignite the imaginations of the people that are listening to them, that are watching, that are here, that maybe their story is going to touch them in a deep way and they'll be more open for for Jim, who's got some practical steps, you know. So, you know, there's there's different ways to look at it than just, all right, you know, so and so is going to be here then and they're going to we're going to be here here <laughs> at this room. And yeah, I mean, there's a lot of details. We all need both sides. It's not an either or thing. And I think that's that's, you know, why I'm passionate about the creative side, because I feel like that's what our culture has spent too much time ignoring and even hurting and damaging because it's sensitive. And so we have to shut those voices down that try to shut us down and say, you can't do that, you know, and it's like, all right, take time in this planning to say, how can how can they get some creative blessings out of this too? You know, maybe because it is some beautiful colors on the screen on the platform, you know, or some backdrop that that will be you know excite their imagination. Um, you know, I just had to do some headshots because I also am a speaker, so um, I'd love to do any stages. But the um, yeah, so I did I did some some headshots with my artwork behind it. You know, superimposed paintings or just close up of a painting or some of my pottery or some of you know just to you know this is part of who I am. You know, it's not just a a grandma here, but um, <laughs> I'm I'm interested in in everybody's creativity, I guess. <laughs> very, very cool. Um, at the very beginning, you mentioned how uh, kids, if you ask a whole bunch of five-year-olds, they're all going, yeah, I love dance. I love if you ask them if they like math, they're like, what? No. <laughs> but when you ask like 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds, you start to see that interest or that excitement diminish a little bit. And then when we get to our adult stages, we're like, yeah, we don't, we can't draw. We, we can't dance. We can't do this. We can't do that. Now, a lot of that is because of the realization of putting yourself out there, being exposed, having see people uh, have that ability to judge or critique what you do, and they want to prevent even that from happening so they don't even start. So for yourself, when you're working with people who want to express themselves, but they're afraid of backlash or afraid of feedback, what do, what do you say to them? 
Yeah, that that is that is such an excellent question. And you're right. That is huge. I call it the paralysis of perfectionism. And, we, you know, we need to give ourselves grace to to have a learning process. Number one, just like I've had to have graces, I've had to learn marketing and skills. You know, I've had a steep learning curve, you know, like, oh, people have been doing this for decades and they don't teach you that in art school. They don't even teach it in film school. So we don't know anything about it. So, yeah, there's a lot of failure along the road. And I create and this is this is very, very important. what I call a safe space, that this is a no criticism zone. We're not going to engage our our left brain other than we're going to be, we're going to be working where it's hands-on, which makes it left brain, right brain, good balance, but no criticism is allowed. And for some people, that's really hard, even little ones. Uh, You know, my studio, you walk through here, this is a no criticism zone. And another one will say, I can't do this. It's like, wait a minute, are you talking bad about my student here? You know, it's, it's, it's really kind of a habit to develop, to not stifle our right brain that way and understand it's sensitive. And you're actually hurting yourself when you allow yourself to say those things or come into, I had come into agreement. I'll tell you one story. So in art school, I was doing real well in drawing, real well in theater. Then I got to painting and they, it was the era of abstract expressionism. And I wanted to paint people and beautiful scenery. And they were not happy to the point of describing my work with four letter words. Well, it didn't take very many critiques before I was completely shut down as a painter. I changed my major to ceramics, you know, and I still do sculpture today, which I love. But I kept trying to paint all these next years, even after school. I started having babies. I wanted to paint my children's pictures and I couldn't finish them. And I started after almost 20 years, I looked at these piles of unfinished painting. I'm thinking, what's wrong with me? And it had worked its way to squash my own right brain into believing I couldn't paint. And I got a mentor, somebody who worked with me one-on-one to teach me how to paint and gain me the confidence that I needed to not be have that paralysis of perfectionism. When I reached those hurdles, I couldn't get over them because I wasn't convinced I was good enough. Matter of fact, I was pretty convinced I wasn't good enough. And I've seen people like that too in the arts and in all forms of arts and music, you know, and and married to a musician and having musician sons, they work so hard to get through that barrier where they said it takes, um, maybe you might know these numbers better than me, 20 hours to be 80% 80 proficient, but it takes a 10,000 hours to get hundred percent proficient at something. And I've seen my kids, uh, we work 10,000 hours to get proficient, but you don't have to get that proficient to enjoy. You have to be able to get past the product. So when I teach, when I teach drawing, when I start teaching, they're not allowed to look at their paper. I teach, I teach contour line drawing and they, they put their pen down and then they have to look at what they're drawing. They can't look at the paper anymore. So you have to separate that product focus to enable them to develop their skills enough to where they can now look and say, wow, that's so much better than I thought it could be. And I love having that reaction. Now, when it comes to art, like you're, you're saying, that once you're in that safe space, you can do whatever you want. You can get your your expression out there, your emotions out there. No criticism, no judgment. Same with entrepreneurship. People will go, okay, I can plan this. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna create this this product. I'm gonna create this this uh, this program. But the moment it launches, the moment it gets put out there into the public, now it's out there. How do you deal with feedback on that? 
do you read comments? Do you do you actually look at a whole bunch of these people saying things about good or bad, right? Yeah. Do you actually spend time doing that or do you just go, you know what? I know what I got. It's out there. I had an experience about five years ago. I did a sculpture that took me three months, 500 hours to put this sculpture together that was in a, it's a juried show. So it was a, and it was award-winning already to be in the show was to win the award. I did a maquette of it, small version to get into the show. So I got into the show, brought this 48 inch, you know, by 36 inch sculpture to the show. And it was kind of a crowning achievement for me sculpturally. And it didn't win anything. I mean, not an honorable mention, nothing. And it crushed me. I mean, I'll be completely honest. I was because I spent so much time and effort to make this really special. Um, I had something to learn about my own, my own, my own right brain, my own heart. You know, what, where, why do I do this? What do I think about it? And does it matter more than what some judge who doesn't even know what this is thinks about it? And, you know, they gave awards to things that, you know, could have done in my sleep, you know, whatever, but it's, you have to come to a conclusion that this is something that I feel driven to express myself about no matter what anybody else thinks of it. And I do have a good support system around me, my husband and my family and friends. And then I I did a room installation and that also took nine months to build that had a tremendous success. So, you know, you don't always win, don't always win the competitions. Um, I just did a painting and entered a show one best in show recently for a painting. And, but it had been a long time since I'd won one or one best in show for, for a painting. And uh, you never know what someone else is going to think. So there has to be a place of healing in your own heart, in your own soul that says, I'm doing this to express what I'm thinking and feeling. And it may or may not be received. And so you can see that for some people, they're not ready for that. And when, I, when you're a student, you know, when you're learning to play the piano, do you play the piano or the guitar or any instrument? You know, at first you're just learning where your fingers go and you're, you know, playing, you know, Mary had a little lamb or whatever. You're not playing, you know, Beethoven and Bach at first and and you're learning where they go. And you have to feel like it's okay to be in this learning curve where I'm I'm learning my way around and nobody but me and my teacher hear us. Right. (laughs) Or maybe my mom and dad or maybe my spouse if I'm late in life. I'm just convinced that there's just no it's never too late to be creative. It's never too, I mean, I just wrote my books, you know, 20 in 2020 is when I wrote this 630 page textbook. I mean, it wasn't really something I thought I would do, but I have an opinion about art history and, and, and I have a rural school in South Carolina. It's not a big city. I have students that probably never going to take another art class in their life. I'm like, I get one shot at them, you know, and I'm going to inspire them to find what they love about art, find something that they can relate to and enjoy, make sure there's so much variety of, of, of artists that they can, they can hear, hear their stories and find out what they love and choose somebody to study further. And then I make them try it. I, they, they, I, they use my how to draw book and they have to do these exercises and stir it up. And again, I, I don't grade on talent. You do what I ask you to do in a timely manner. You're going to get a hundred. I don't, you know, no matter what it looks like, because it's the effort that brings the benefit. Right. Um, I mean, <laughs> how, how do you judge? Like that's always something that confuses my mind. It's, it's art critics. And like judging art, when art is an expression, art is a a feeling and emotion, no matter what it 
seems like it is to you, you have absolutely no right to go, oh, that's bad or that's good because or it just makes you feel a certain way, right? So when you go, hey, you're going to get 100% regardless because of effort, I think that is uh, true to what art should be. So when you go and look at art, what goes in your mind? Do you go, hmm, that could be done a little bit different? Or do you go, I would do it this way? Or would you go, okay, I want to know more about the story. Like, how do you, how do you look at art? <laughs> yes to all of it. <laughs> when I was 10 years old, I got to go to the World's Fair in New York City. And they brought Michelangelo's Pieta sculpture to the World's Fair. And my class was going and we were going to see dinosaurs and the GE exhibit of the appliances of the future. Those were our three exhibits. We're going to take a bus. I was in New Jersey and we went to New York and they brought us before this sculpture. And I didn't want to ever leave. I couldn't believe that someone could take one piece of marble and create this incredible sculpture. It's kind of a triangular shape, more than life size of, of um, Mary holding the, the dead body of Jesus, her son on her lap. And, you know, for perspective, if a, a, a left brain to say, well, if she stood up, she'd be eight feet tall. You know, she sculpturally, you know, anatomically, it's not correct. But the beauty and the, the angst on her face there and you can see the holes now i wasn't relate raised in a religious home i didn't know the real i saw and felt the spiritual impact even though i didn't know anything about the religious behind it it touched me with the beauty the the way this the the, the veins were, were 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 carved out of this piece of marble the expression on her face a mother losing her son i mean i, I never got over it Matter of fact, I could cry right now. And I have that story in my book. And even when I tell my students every semester, I about cry because this is this is what art should do. It should move you to feel something. And that's so personal, like music. Can anybody tell you what music you should listen to? I raise my kids on musicals because I love them. They still love them, but zeppelin and the music of my generation they you know they have their own opinion and that's good i want them to but they got exposed to what i love you know raising them um but you're still going to enjoy the music that that touches you why does it touch you is it the lyrics is it the tune is it what is it about that particular song or that particular music that just you know, set your soul on fire. And, and it's very, very, very subjective. And that's, that's one of the difficult things and why we can't be stuck on that perfectionism. It's, it, it's not about perfection. It's about, has it touched you? Has it moved you? Does it make you feel something? Stop and it tracks. I go see art all the time. I live in a town with lots of art galleries and museums. Matter of fact, I give my, my students credit if they go take a picture of themselves in front of their favorite work at an art museum. Cause a lot of people, in my area, these young people have never been, they've never been to an art gallery in their lives. So they get credit for it. If they go, we're trying to stir up a lifetime of, of enjoyment. So, you know, I, I think there's a place for left brain, right brain, but it, it's, but understanding that there's a story and what is your story in your connection to it? Now, it, right now, there's a lot of things coming out of from AI and uh, being relevant, uh, wh whether you're an entrepreneur, you're an artist, how is AI being affecting uh, the art world and how do you help them overcome those, those challenges? That's a very good question. I, 
I absolutely love AI. You know, if you're a writer, you love chat GPT, you know, gives you new words to put together. I've got a workshop coming on, you know, gave me the word crafting vision. And as I laid the crafting vision, I like that, you know, I put it together. Um, So I think they're great tools. Anything that is a tool for your imagination is fabulous or it it solves a problem. You know, looking at the AI art, um, I think it's just completely left brain. And I think if you look at the, the AI art and start comparing it to art by humans, you can start perceiving that lack of soul, that, that lack of story behind it. It may be technically proficient and check all the boxes of composition and, and form and all of the things that teach my kids foundationally, but then it's missing that right brain personality. Right. Now, when it comes to art, um, it's, it's what the other person perceives it to be, how valuable it is. It's uh, how, how much they like it, how it makes them feel. So when it comes to AI, there's not a person there showcasing or explaining the, the story behind AI art, right? Somebody can come up with a story, I'm sure, and go, hey, this is what, uh, th- this is how it's put together and all kinds of stuff. Comparing that to somebody who actually drew, made a painting or did a sculpture and had a story behind it. Has that affected the industry from a business standpoint where people are buying art and go, wait, I could just buy this or I could just do this for free versus going to somebody to do a custom piece for me? Well, I, I think it's had a little bit, but I, I think that most people, most people who collect art, you know, they they have a sense of what they're looking for. I, I think that marketplace would not be the discerning buyers market. What has changed mostly is COVID and, you know, shutting down a lot of galleries and turning everything on in, into um, digital. Digital space has probably changed the art world as much as it has music world. My son's being musicians, you know, the whole world has changed with, you know, self, even writers. Did you self publish your books. You know, I have one that was is owned by a publisher and one that I self-published. And, you know, it, 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 there's lots more options and I'm all for options. And, you know, an AI can be very creative and we can use it as a tool, but it's, it's, I don't ever feel like it could ever replace the human touch. It's just, it's not human. It's a machine and, it, and it's going to respond to by machine. And it's a great you know, we can't be afraid of it. We can't deny, you know, these advancements. They're part of our world. They're not, it's not going away. You know, you may hate Bitcoin, but I'm sorry, cryptocurrency is not going away. You know, you've got to, you've got to stay alert. And, you know, that's part of being alive and creative to the end is engaging in all of these new things as they come along. They really can be wonderful. Now, you have a program called the Art of Self-Therapy, uh, Wellness Through Creativity. And when it comes to wellness, it's all in our minds. Uh, if For entrepreneurs, business CEOs, uh, artists, music, musicians, and all that kind of stuff, if our minds were not in the right space, we're not able to focus properly. We're not able to uh, be able to achieve the success that we want because we're always go, go, go. We're always trying to meet that deadline or meet that goal. So when it comes to your course and your program, how do you help people kind of pull away from the busyness and be patient for a, a little while so that they can go back into that busyness again? 
you know, that's, that's really hard. And it, and it, it isn't easy for people that are on, have that kind of drive to recognize what's lacking. Usually there has to be almost some kind of crisis, like their family's falling apart or something, something, or even their health could fall apart because our body's going to respond to what's going on in our, our mind, will, and emotions. So if it's not, not lining up, then our body's going to start telling us, you know, that's why, you know, being a, being an entrepreneur is creative. You're, you're creating a business and a product out of nothing. You know, this is totally creative doing a podcast, being a podcaster, you're being extremely creative. You are building those pathways. Even as you have to work, what's my microphone? What's the time? You know, you're, you're doing it left brain, but your right brain is like, how it's going to look on screen. I'm going to put this beautiful poster of this bridge, you know, in my, in my town behind me. And, you know, you're thinking, about left you're already engaged in that process and i think just encouraging yourself gosh if i could just how much time do you carve out of your day to exercise mm -hmm. now are you exercising on a treadmill are you exercising in your neighborhood you know what what kind of choices you're making about how you could my be combine these things okay i'm gonna for my health sake i'm not just gonna do this exercise i'm gonna enjoy the environment you know, while I'm there, look at the sky, look at the trees, you know, making some even subtle choices like that, that can bring that balance, that left brain, right brain balance and health wellness balance. Art as self-therapy is real. I've studied it enough. There's wellness through creativity. So you are being creative, recognize that, acknowledge that and celebrate that even as you are doing these things, you're being conscious of the right, right brain things, even though you may be haven't even realized you were. <laughs> awesome. Um, this time has gone by very, very fast. I've learned a lot <laughs> from you. Uh, if you were on the world stage and you get to spread one message that you want everybody to remember caring for, what would that message be? Yeah, have have the grace to give yourself time to be creative every day, even if 15 minutes a day, be creative. Awesome. Great words to live by. Now, before <laughs> I let you go, uh, I got five quick questions for you. Give me the first things that come to mind. All right. Uh, okay. You're going to be stranded on a deserted island. One food to eat for the rest of your life. No consequence. Pizza. <laughs> that's, the second, <laughs> that's the second pizza in a row I got. Uh, <laughs> you're, in, uh, you're going on a road trip for hours on end, and you only get to choose one song to listen to over and over again. What's that one song you don't mind listening to? People. Awesome. <laughs> Monopoly calls and says, hey, we love what you've been doing uh, in your career. Would you like to, we would like to do a game for you, a Karenopoly. What are five, <laughs> what are five little, little tokens that people use as their playing pieces that you would choose to represent you? Um, Wow, that's a tough one. They, oh, the, the 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 little figures that are going around the board, that's yeah. what I get to choose? Yeah, you get to choose five items that represents you. Hmm. Hmm. There'll be an artist. There'd be a, a painter, a painter, a, a sculptor, a painter, a sculptor, um, an actor, a filmmaker, <laughs> and a writer. Uh, awesome. Um, one hidden talent that not many people know about. I can sing. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and my, my last question is, well, before I get there, give me a number from one to five. Five. One, two, three, four, five. 
if you had to prepare compare success to a unicorn, <laughs> I would use unicorn as a metaphor for success. Treat treat it gently, or it'll become extinct. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's how success is like a unicorn. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Any final words from you? Thank you so much. I love what you're doing. I appreciate so much having this opportunity. And I, I really pray that you have a great response to all that you're doing as a podcaster. Thank awesome. you for having me. Thank you for that. And also, what's the best way for people to reach out for, to you? Uh, KarenDeloach.com forward slash gift. And they can get a free pop-up podcast that I can send them out. So learn more about how they can be creative themselves. Great. Very, very important stuff because we all need to be creative sometime and uh, to balance out our binds and be able to balance out our successes as well. So thank you very much for that. Uh, for everybody else, she is Karen. My name is Paul Chuan. Until next time, today is the day to lock your peak potential. We'll see you later.